If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. An African proverb. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 58 of the Intentional Leader Podcast where we help you lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. With a new episode every two weeks, I hope that this podcast can be a community to help you stay focused, to help you find inspiration, and to help you lead well in an often challenging world. I want to give a special thank you to all of you that have shared this podcast with a friend or those of you that have taken a few minutes to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast, that really helps us grow. Also, a special thank you to everyone that has partnered with us financially through our Patreon account. You can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Cal Walters to join. A special shout out to Doug Jones, who became a patron last week. Thank you so much, Doug. All of your support helps us inspire leaders around the world, literally around the world, and it will help us close the gap in leadership instruction. When we help leaders get better, it has an exponential impact on the people that they lead. Today's episode is brought to you by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help you prepare your organization to meet those rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. Go to higherechelon.com to connect with the amazing team, including Dr. Joe Ross, who you've heard on this podcast at Higher Echelon. Learn more about the amazing work that they do. They are really an incredible team. So I encourage you to go check out higherechelon.com to learn more. Today's episode is really special. According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, 20 veterans a day commit suicide. Mental health doesn't just affect veterans, it's an epidemic, and my guest today, Adam Carr, has literally dedicated his life to helping returning warriors find a better path. Adam is the executive director of Save a Warrior. Save a Warrior is an original, warrior-led, well-grounded, and timeless journey for active-duty military, returning veterans, and first responders who feel desperately alone. They say at Save a Warrior, give us a week and you will change the way you see and live your life. As a Special Forces Green Beret, Adam hunted Al-Qaeda operatives. He developed intelligence networks, conducted diplomatic relations. He briefed ambassadors and generals on geopolitical environments. And through his many years of service, unfortunately, Adam has been profoundly impacted over the loss of his teammates, mentors, and close friends to suicide. And now he currently speaks to students, corporations, and a wide variety of audiences all over the country. He has over 20 years of leadership and managerial experience. Adam is a graduate of the Ignite program at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. He also earned his MBA from the Ohio State University's Fisher College of Business and was selected as the most outstanding student of his 2019 MBA cohort. Adam lives in Dublin, Ohio with his wife, Tara, and their three children, Noah, Jonah, and Nora. On this episode, we dive into Adam's incredible story, his story of struggle after transitioning out of the military and how he came to discover Save a Warrior. We talk about the transformative approach that 
that Adam and his team take to change the lives of warriors and first responders through their retreats. And we pull out some of the practical tools that all of us can use to become more resilient and healthy leaders. We also discuss the power of vulnerability and the power of community. This is really a, an, an amazing episode. For more information on Save a Warrior and what we discuss, check out the show notes at my website, calwalters.me. And without any further ado, let's get into this conversation with the executive director of Save a Warrior, Adam Carr. Oh, well, Adam Carr, welcome to the podcast. I am so pumped to have you here, man. Thrilled to be here. Thanks, Cal. The work that you are doing with Save a Warrior and with your uh, your new company, Western Zen, uh, it just fires me up and I love your story. So I'd like to start there. If you could just tell us kind of how you transitioned from the military and then eventually got into Save a Warrior. For sure. So, you know, I'm here in Ohio right now in Dublin and grew up in Dayton about an hour from here. My mother still lives there right now. So does my sister. Came from a blue collar, hardworking family. I mean, learned work ethic from the beginning. Didn't really have a college fund. So when time came around, you know, I, I was a track athlete and cross country football of that nature in, in high school. And I ended up ripping my hip flexor and lost my scholarship to Ohio University. So I found myself just after 9-11 in the recruiting office, um, basically in line with a bunch of other, of other folks from around this area, signing up, really not knowing what I was going to get into, but kind of feeling like in my heart, a call to adventure too. You know, I'd watched military movies and we'd had family members serve and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I needed to get college paid for, right? So I go off in the National Guard here in Ohio, um, go to Ohio State. You know, uh, I was doing finance. I figured, hey, money uh, should be a path I should take. That'll probably make me happy. And something came up uh, two years in school at Ohio State that said security and intelligence. It was a new major that they announced. Department of Homeland Security around the country were looking for big universities where they could give money and they could bring in, you know, CIA agents, retired FBI agents, generals, you name it, to create this program so that uh, we could have the next generation of case officers and FBI agents and you name it. So when I saw that as a headline at the Ohio State main landing page, I called my counselor and I was like, I want to do this. This looks really, really cool. So ended up learning a, a language. I, I picked Arabic. So went through school and, and got trade trained in trade craft and all kinds of other things, believe it or not, in college. It was an incredible experience. Ended up uh, signing the active duty contract. And my family thought I was crazy because I had graduated with an undergraduate degree from Ohio State. And they're like, why aren't you going officer? This is in 2006. And I said, I don't want to miss the war. That was the frame <laughs> of mind I was in. I don't want to miss the war. And I thought, what's my quickest way to get the combat? Well, obviously the infantry, right? But I had a cousin who was a Green Beret in 10th group. And uh, he inspired me to, to go that route. And I knew, hey, if I wanted to work in the CIA or something along those lines one day, what better way to do it than to try out for special forces? So sign a six-year contract, end up going through the Q course, the pipeline and everything. So uh, go to infantry school, go to airborne school, go through the Q course, which is about a two-year process at the time, and uh, ended up becoming an engineer. And I remember, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm telling all my friends, hey, I picked Russian and I, uh, I was a commo guy before, so I'm going to be a communications guy with Russian language. So I'll be going to 10th group, and I'm going to be skiing and snowboarding. And like, you guys have fun <laughs> in fifth group where you're in the desert all the time. And they call my name out. I'm sitting in this auditorium, and they're like, Carr, you're Chinese, and you're a Charlie. And the Charlie is the engineer demolitions guy. And that's just what they needed at the time. And so I guess that was the route I was going. So I ended up getting assigned to first group. 
And if you don't know anything about uh, the way the groups function in special forces, each group is kind of assigned to a geographic territory around the country. We all serve the Middle East. If there's a combat zone, you know, each group will go in and out of there. Some groups have a higher rotation than others, but ended up getting orders after that pipeline to Okinawa, Japan. And by that point, you know, there was two things that the instructor said, they said, don't go get a tattoo during the course and don't go get married. And of course I didn't listen being <laughs> young, crazy punk kid that I was. And I went out and got married in the courthouse like so many people do in Fayetteville. And we tried to sneak uh, from my family. And of course we ended up getting pregnant. And so I had to drop two bombs and make phone calls to everybody in our family and say, Hey mom and dad, guess what? Um, not only am I married and you guys don't know about this, but there's a child on the way too. And that's my son, Noah, who's going to be 13 this year. So that kind of ages and dates this time period in my life. But yeah, uh, became really tight. You know, we finished off the Q course. And at the end, there's a culmination called Robin Sage. So basically all of the skills that you take from the military, you combine into one um, Colex and they want to see if you have what it takes to become a Green Beret. So we go dark, tell my wife, hey, don't contact me unless it's life limb or eyesight. Well, during this period, my uh, this is the period of the financial crafts in the country. My uncle uh, ended up stepping in front of a train. So they buried him. You know, this was somebody I was very close to. Mm -hmm. Buried him when I was gone, didn't contact me, you know, had that funeral. And then another mentor of mine in the course ended up going out on a combat mission two weeks in the country and got blown up by an IED and killed. So the first two messages I received when I got, when I came out of basically um, in, in a dark period where we were, you know, out of sight, out of mind for six weeks were those two messages. So it was kind of a baptism by fire, what was to come in my special forces career. And throughout that time period, you know, I uh, became best friends with a guy on my team. If you're not familiar with how ODAs function in operational detachment alpha, it's a 12 man team, kind of like the TV show, the A team. I think they made a movie about that too with Bradley Cooper. But basically the idea is, is that you can take your jobs and you can split the team in half. So you have your alpha, which is your officer. You have your warrant officer. You have your top, which is the Zulu. He runs the team. And then you basically have two of every position outside of the Fox, which is your Intel. And um, I, I became really tight with those guys on my team. You know, they're like brothers were with each other 10 months out of every year. And my best friend, uh, two weeks before he was getting ready to come home from Afghanistan, took an AK round in his neck and we had to go down to Texas and bury him. And I'll tell you what, you know, it's one thing to lose a best friend and it's another thing to stand in his bedroom where you see, you know, the trophies and he played college ball, football for McMurray, McMurray State. But to see the trophies and to see everything in place, you know, that his mother had and just to try to hold it together while, you know, the mother's grieving and, and no parent should have to bury their own kid. And unfortunately, this is this is part of the life of the last 20 years or, or last however many, you know, hundreds of years. If you're a veteran that have been serving this country, that this is unfortunately a part of the business that we sign up for. So lost another teammate to suicide. Uh, he got into some trouble and they were going to take away his long tab, his, his special forces tab and his identity was was rolled up in that. And so he ended up taking his life instead of calling one of us. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. I, I won't even get into combat situations in Afghanistan or in the Philippines and some of these other tours. So there's obviously that which kind of um, came up as moral injury for me. Uh, but then I went to reach out when I went to transition out, you know, I, I, at this point, it's 2014. So I joined in 02. And I'm like, hey, I got this. You know, I got a college degree, Green Beret, top secret clearance. Civilian world is going to be a piece of cake in the transition. I go through my three days of, of uh, classes with PowerPoint. Hey, let's do some resume writing. Let's transfer your skills to the civilian world, yada, yada, yada. 
by, you know, some 23 year old kid who just got hired by in a GS sticks position or whatever. Her six months were great. And then the wheels started to come off, you know, a lot of the things that I should have grieved and a lot of the vulnerability that I did not have, because again, in that space, you're a barrel chested freedom fighter and your job is to remain strong, green light, go next mission, go. And, and we don't sit there and talk about our vulnerabilities uh, in front of each other. We're here to just maintain composure and, and really vulnerability can be looked at as a weakness in the military. And this whole mental health space is, is kind of one of those things where if you wanted to talk about that, one, you're going to get on some Prozac and two, you're probably going to end up in an administrative role, which is just a nightmare for anybody that's on the teams. You know, you never want to leave a team. So all of that ended up catching up to me. Um, went to reach out to one of my first friends I met in the army in 02, named Zach Zink and a Wisconsin National Guardsman. And he had killed himself on my birthday. And when I saw that, I was just like, I don't know what else to do. You know, my friends are killing themselves. I feel like crap. You know, I found myself talking to some folks in, in therapy. And, you know, I had never taken in, in 14 years, I had never taken anything but 800 milligram ibuprofen. That seems to be the magical prescription, right? For us in the military, take some cough drops, take some ibuprofen, drink water, take a knee and face out. And they were giving me all kinds of stuff. Hey, hey you need this to stay awake. You need this to go to sleep. Here's this concoction. And it was just got a little bit out of control. So everything came to a head. My soul, you know, my spirit, my life force, whatever you want to call it, was feeling so inauthentic at the time. And it was just, I was almost was feeling this existential crisis at 32 years old, thinking, you know what? I don't have my identity anymore. Everything that I've done was to that point to become a Green Beret. I got out um, because, you know, I wanted to be with my family 10 months out of every year for that time period will wear on a family. And by th this point, I had had another child named Jonah. So it was really, really tough. And that's a tough decision any military member makes. You know, a lot of us end up staying for the whole career. A lot of us get out to, to pursue other challenges in our life. And for me, th that was the right time to get out. But it was hard for me to try to find a new identity. There were opportunities to go work in the corporate world. I just couldn't believe, hey, this is the realest that life's ever going to get. Like with my guys on the team, kicking indoors, being a Green Beret, like doing military things with my brothers and really having a higher purpose because we don't we don't join and serve for the money it's, it's not about that for us right it's about being a part of a brotherhood a sisterhood and having that purpose and for me you know that that purpose was a big missing you know along with me not having really mourned properly you know and gotten to the grief you know there was an unmourned grief issue going on with me as well so make this video video goes viral with my wife in it 24 minutes and talking about everything i've talked about here in detail my wife's bawling next to me. I got a loaded nine mil. I got a bottle of Jack Daniels. I got a bag of pills. And I know you've seen that video, Cal. And this video ends up going viral. All these different people pick it up. And there's this organization about 20 minutes from my house. So nationally, right, this thing gets picked up 20 minutes from my house. They reach out to me and they said, hey, you know, we're in your area. I think we have a solution for what you've been looking for. Why don't we meet at this cafe? So I go and meet them at the cafe. They offer me a seat in the program uh, at Save a Warrior. They just kind of talk about, hey, we got this program out in California, which is where it was operating at the time. And uh, they had been founded in 2012. So I did my research online. Seemed kind of interesting. Dudes were like hugging. There was a labyrinth. There was horses. I didn't really know what to think, but I'm like, whatever I'm doing in my life right now is not working. You know, I wasn't working at the time. You know, I was sleeping in. I, I just, everything that I had trained for and learned 
I kind of threw to the wayside a lot of these skill sets because again, there was just, a, I felt like the world was collapsing at me at the time. So end up going through this program and uh, I'll tell you what, what I saw in this experience. And at the time it was a five and a half day experience on site. It's an intensive integrative retreat. It's what they call it an IAR model where you basically go on this hero's journey, which is a monomyth uh, taken from mythologist Joseph Campbell. And they put you uh, in on this journey on your own. And, and this was cohort 035. We're now on cohort uh, 0122. So we've forexed this thing since I've gone through, which is just incredible because I can remember sitting in the seat and thinking some of these guys had done 10, 15 cohorts that were up there in front of me. And I'm like, wow, like these dudes have led 15 of these, like these guys are giants, right? And they, they still are to me, but I mean, I've got 75 under my belt now that I've led uh, or co-created with Jay Clark. And I'll get into that here in a little bit, but this program, it really opened up my eyes and really had a, such an impactful, powerful, transformative experience to me. It was like this aperture opened up for me. And since that point of time, you know, I went back to school. So I went back to graduate school. I did a program out at Stanford Graduate School of Business for entrepreneurship. So I spent some time out there and then I ended up going back to school at Ohio State and getting my MBA at Fisher College of Business. And I've also, you know, came to Save a Warrior and said, hey, I, I want to come back and volunteer, you know, whatever I need to do. I just want to be a part of this. There was something I saw when I sat in the seat that was so powerful, that was so moving. I was like, I, I got to be a part of this experience. Like I saw 10 other people in my cohort completely change their lives. Some of them were addicts. Some of them were divorced or, or their wives had just left them and they had literally nothing. Some of them were on the, the brink of homelessness. And all of their lives are exploding and thriving five years later now, you know, and, and I can speak to the, my professional accolades. Like here I sit in front of you as the executive director of this life-changing experience as the CEO and founder of a, of a separate company that's doing transformative experiences for organizations around the country. But what's really impacted me the most is my personal life, you know, my, how I relate now and how I'm being with my wife and my kids and the connections that I've, made with them since I've been out it have just been incredible and they continue to blossom. And that's also a challenge for a lot of us military members when we go to go to get out because we're used to maybe being gone quite often. And now it's like, ooh, how do I occupy this space with my family that I'm used to only seeing maybe 10, 10% of the time. So there's some certainly some adjustments to be made, especially for us men that that maybe serve and our wife's used to being the one that runs the household. And then we want to when we get out, we want to just insert ourselves. And there's got to be a balance there that happens because, you know, she may be used to, and, and maybe it's the woman that's serving and it's the man that's running the household. But either way, it, there's a balance and there's an adjustment to be made. And, and my personal life has just exploded as well with my family. We had another child. I, I have a daughter named Nora who's going to be six next month. And uh, we probably should have waited to do that uh, when we were in the military because it's free. And <laughs> that was a fun <laughs> bill to get afterwards. But because um, we have we have our own company, so you know basically the Tricare days were gone. But that's kind of the story. That's how I found Save a Warrior, and this is kind of where I'm at now. And, and life has just really exploded. So I'm hoping that somebody maybe that has just kind of heard that story is like, wow, you know, I find I find myself right now in a pretty dark space. But hey, this guy who you know was in a tough spot came through this program, and it turned his whole life around. It changed everything. And just know that, you know, you're not alone if that's the way you're feeling right now. There, there are millions of veterans, there are millions of people right now that feel exactly this way. And really, it just comes, comes to 
about reorienting our minds and um a program like ours can certainly do that again it's very transformative it's extremely necessary i think if anything you know it's novel it's disruptive it's essential if you're someone that's struggling that has served this country I just love that. And I, I want to, we're going to get into Save a Warrior. We're going to break that all down. I want to go back though to your, the video that you mentioned. I, it's been a little while. It's probably been six months since I've seen the video, yep. but you're, you mentioned that you have a, a nine mil in your hand. You have the pill bottles. Your wife is there. Like, where were you in that moment? Like mentally, were you, were you about to consider suicide at that point? I just tell us a little bit about the context of that video. Of course. Yeah. So I think if one word encapsulates that moment, it's lost. Hmm. I was just lost. I was lost as a human being. And the, the old me who kind of had a motto, never forget, never forgive, you know, and what a crappy way to go through life. But that's hmm. just the way that I was at the time was, you know, I, I was in a terrible space in my life and, and really rotten space because again, I was having this existential crisis. I was thinking, wow, I, my life has peaked at 32. And the old me would have judged that, you know, I could have come across a video like that in my newsfeed and been like, this person's a wimp or this person's, you know, that's a cop out or that's an excuse or that's weak, right? That couldn't be further from the truth, right? You know, being vulnerable uh, has been one of the keys to me having breakthroughs in my life because I have found that if I hold everything in, not only does that put me in a place where I'm inauthentic, so I, I just don't feel authentic around other people, but it, it puts me in a place where I'm unable to connect. And what are we wired for as human beings? You know, we're wired for struggle. We're wired for connection. And this couldn't be more prominent right now in, in a place where everyone's been so isolated because of COVID over the last year. But like, you're seeing this uptick in domestic violence. You're seeing an uptick in mental health crises. You're seeing an uptick in suicide. But for me at that time, I felt very isolated. I felt alone. I thought that I could just go out there and do it on my own as, as many of us do. And, and what I was really missing in my life was that connection and vulnerability allowed me to have that connection. I had tens of thousands of messages that came about from that video. There was a message that stuck out to me that day outside of the one from Save a Warrior. This woman who was in her sixties uh, wrote me and I, I look at my Facebook message and she says, Hey honey, I wanted to let you know that this morning I had a plan to kill myself. And then I watched your video. And so for me, like that moment of not feeling like I had a purpose, it was like wake up call. Like you want to talk about a quantum moment or an aha moment. That was the shift for me. That was enough of a shift for me to give Save a Warrior a chance. And then all, all I needed to do was sit in that seat to say, I got to be a part of this. Like I'm going to reorient my life to be a part of this. Instead of going to work at an investment banking firm or, you know, some tech company or whatever. And a lot of my friends had done that with backgrounds like ours and, and they're making a lot of money and a lot of them are, are miserable as can be, you know, cause I speak with them about it and they've transitioned into the nonprofit sector where they've started their own companies because they're just, it, it, there's more to it than just materialism, right? There's more to it than acquiring or more. The, the, a lot of us that join the service, again, we're purpose-minded from the beginning. So that, that kind of needs to go with whatever we transition into. It's so important to have that connectivity and, and to get behind that kind of purpose. It can't just be about, money. When money's the driver, generally you'll find um, that there's some emptiness going on or there's some blind spots and gaps in, in somebody's life. How do you get from where a lot of service members are or veterans of being kind of that, that rock solid, don't want to let anybody see me sweat? How do you get from that to 
being willing to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm just curious as you look at what you see happen at these as these retreats uh, with mm-hmm. Saul. How do people transition from that? Because I imagine a lot of folks arrive, even though they're willing to sign up and get there, there may be kind of that, still, you got to break through that outer shell. How do you, What do you think are some of the keys to getting from that to a place of vulnerability and then therefore a place of connection? Well, one of the first keys, and, I, and I, again, I've opened up about 75 of these. So I'm, I'm this first touch point. You have to imagine it's me standing there quite often with 10 up to 16, but we keep it about eight to 10 because that's kind of the magic number when you're doing group work in an intensive manner so that you can give your full attention to everybody in the room. I'm standing up there in front of people that are like this. So, you know, (laughs) body language is a big key. key. What 90% of communication is um, nonverbal, right? So, you know, you could see it, the eyes are bloodshot. Some of these guys are kind of shaken. You know, we ask people to come in dry wood. We ask them to come in essentially not on any type of substance. You know, we're again, we're not a program that's equipped to deal with somebody that has a substance abuse issue during the cohort, right? So we, we recommend that if they need to go to a treatment facility before they come, that that's encouraged, right? To work with a medical professional because there are some things like benzos or even alcohol that you can be addicted to that you can kill yourself if you just type right, right off of it without a doctor's supervision. So, but here I am sitting in front or standing in front of all these folks. And the first thing I need to do is get buy-in, right? Cause they're like, who the F is this guy? Who is this dude? And I used to rock like a big old Taliban beard. I don't hide behind the beard anymore. No offense to anybody that has a beard because I think they look they look legit, right? Uh, yes. That's just in my nature. You know, I, I went to the beard and hid behind that thing. And I'm like, you know what? My wife likes it clean cut. Happy wife, happy life. So, but the buy-in for me and for everybody in the seat is I talk about what cohort we're on. So right now we're on 122. So if I was in front of that 0122, and the reason we put a zero there is because we know we're going to go past the thousand, right? So it's almost like that little hope indicator of zero. Just like before, for me, it was zero three five because we knew we were going to eclipse a hundred. And that's a big, that's a big declaration to stand on as a founder and as a, a creator of a nonprofit. Uh, and Jake Clark is to put that zero there because most nonprofits they don't make it five years. Mm-hmm. He, especially right now when people have kind of locked up on giving, people are uncertain about the economy, all this. It, it's it's a big deal that here we go getting ready to be in our ninth year and we're thriving as an organization. And, and you'll see why as we go through this podcast. But I'm getting buy-in. So I'm saying, what does it mean if we're in the cohort 0122 right now? I asked that question. What does that mean? And I'll go around the room and I'll just point at dudes. And right then and there, dudes are leaned in because I'm asking a question to get engagement. Well, it means that 100, 121 other people come before me. That's right. In each of your seats. And you know where they've come from? David Grew, including the guy that was on the stack that killed Osama bin Laden, Delta Force, Ranger Battalion, Special Forces, AFSOC, all the branches of the military, right? Marine, recons, snipers. We've partnered with the Kyle family. So Jeff Kyle, who was a Marine recon, Chris Kyle's brother, and Wayne Kyle, his father, both came through our program and put their stamp on Sable Warrior. LAPD SWAT, FDNY firefighters who watched 300 of their brothers and sisters vanish when those towers fell. That's who sat in the seat in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about people at that moment in time saying, okay, if it's good enough for those folks, I'm going to lean in to this wow. game. This, this may be what I've been looking for my whole life. And that's buy-in right there, right? Because again, if, the, if it's good enough for all of those folks I just mentioned, and I could go on and on and on about who we serve, 
It's good enough for any of us to sit in the seat. We built this game and we call it a game because that's what it is. It's a game that we play like our lives depend on it. But we built this game for the men and the women that have said, you know, the, the, the 10% of this country that raises their hand that says, you know what? Instead of going on this civilian opportunity where I can make a bunch of money and I don't have to put myself at risk and I can have a great family life, I'm going to take this path in life, this road less traveled, and I'm going to serve my country and I'm going to carry the sadness ultimately for this country because that's what we do as men and women, as warriors. We carry our country's sadness through the combat experiences that we have to have over there and through the, the experiences that we have to have over here as well. And so that right there encourages the buy-in and the vulnerability opens up because this is the shared honesty of mutual vulnerability openly acknowledged. So think about, dissect that sentence, the shared honesty. So you and I are sharing, I'm up in front, I'm sharing my experiences of mutual vulnerability. We're both being vulnerable, openly acknowledged by everybody in the room. No one's going to cast anyone out. No one's going to kick anyone out. It's a warrior led clinically informed program. So we draw from the best clinicians in the country. And we're up to date on the latest white papers. We have schools of social work coming in. Dr. John Minter, who is a surgeon for one of the most elite units in the history of the world. Um, he's an ambassador for our organization and has come in. We've had so many generals, colonels, all the way down to a, the E1 supply guy come and sit in the seat. And they've seen this thing firsthand. But that's the big piece is we're drawing from best practices from psychotherapy, psychology, psychiatry, mythology, anthropology, ontology, which is the study of being. Like how, how do I wake up being with a capital B in the morning, right? And that's something that, that gets tied all the way to Heidegger, which is a philosopher. We, we get into film study and we have this blending of art and science. Uh, we do something called real therapy, R-E-E-L, real therapy. And we, we use psychodrama for that, where we put each person in the skin and the character. There's a couple select films that we do and, and really dissect and get nitty and gritty into so people can kind of understand how maybe they're operating in their lives. And so these best practices form this amalgamation that, that creates a space, create the clearing for an individual to have enough aha moments throughout the week to say, you know what, how I was doing life before, that's not working for me anymore. Like I'm ready to make a declaration for my life. I'm ready to stand on that declaration going out of here. And then we give them the support and resources that they need to, to make that declaration happen. And, and once you go through Save a Warrior, you're an alum, it, no one can take that away from you. It's, it's again, part of another special fraternity like you would get in the military. And it's a very tight knit community. And we currently have 1300 people in the last uh, almost nine years that have gone through this program that are part of this fraternity. You mentioned declaration. What, what exactly is that? Is that something that, is that a specific thing that they do at the end or as part of the experience? Love that question. Love that question. Okay. Yeah. That is a part of the experience and, and all of our power as human beings lies in declaration. Hmm. Now think about this. When we wrote the declaration of independence, did, was it, is it a statement of independence to great Britain? Were we saying, we're going to state this today that, <laughs> that we're, um, we're free of you. No, we declared it like our power as Americans lies goes all the way back to the Declaration of Independence. And everybody that signed their name on that, that was treason to Great Britain. You were willing at that moment in time to put your life on the line in a declaration to change your life for, for you, the future of your bloodline, right? Which is what the, this incredible life that we all get to live, regardless of what people are seeing on Facebook, regardless of the political climate. If we were born in this great United States and this country, we hit the lottery of all lotteries, right? 
And that's another piece, gratitude, vulnerability. I mean, there, there's a lot to this. I could speak to you about this for 10 hours today. We could go on and on and on. I know we're limited in time, but all of our power lies in declaration. So you have to be willing to declare something at Save a Warrior that you're willing to do to change your life and have other men or women hold you accountable to that declaration. Like to, to the point of where, hey, I'm putting my life online. What what I'm doing is not working. I'm about to be homeless. I'm suicidal. You know, I got drugs stashed up in the ceiling. I am declaring this for myself when I leave here. And it could be multiple declarations. But time and time again, cohort in and cohort out. Just that shift in languaging, because most of our problems, they occur in, in how we language. They occur in our negative self-talk. If we want to get into the psychology of what what happens within the brain? What's happening with these synapses when we're doing this? And what we're doing is, is through mindfulness and meditation, through changing our language, we're actually developing through neuroplasticity, new neural networks to where like we can change a pattern in our life. And it's really tough for people to change. There's a book by Alan Dushman that I'm looking at on my uh, bookshelf right now. It's called Change or Die. And it talks about in this book, how people can go meet with a heart surgeon, right? They can, they can be on the brink of death. Just any, any, human that is having trouble. Usually it's men, right? Because heart disease is something that affects um, men more than women historically. And they can say, hey, you need to change your diet, right? You've just had this triple bypass surgery. You need to do this. We need to be more active. We need to eat more of a plant-based diet. Make sure you're doing your omegas, yada, yada, yada. Drink more water, less alcohol, no, no smoking, all that. For about three weeks, these men follow this pattern. They're rigid about it. In about three weeks, they start to slowly dial it back and go back to the way they were before. And what happens? You end up dying, right? Or you're back in surgery again. And this happens every single day. And it's really, really tough for human beings to change. So this intensive integrated retreat is just enough of a blast for an 80 hour experience to where a human being is like, I must change my life. Like, and I, and I, I've heard it enough or I've had this experience inside of me, this transformation that, that I'm ready to make that change. But you have to want to change as a human. Like we can't do it for you. And, and in our program, we don't just go down to the local um, inpatient facility or to the court system and say, hey, send us your people. I, I know that and the, and they come kicking and screaming, right? We're dragging them in. You actually have to, to sign up online and you have to hit a button that says submit. There's a, that's, there's a lot of power in that languaging to submit, especially if you know everything. Right. And how many of us, we know better, right? We know who you should vote for. We know who should be selling GameStop stock at what time. We know this and we know that we're all armchair experts in, in 2020 right now. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, in order to submit, you have to come in with this like almost sense of wonder and say, you know what, whatever these guys are doing for the last nine years, like it's working. Like I'm just going to sit back and just take it all in. It's only 80 hours. Obviously, what I've done in the past with XYZ therapy or seminars or books is not working for me or drugs, right? This the pharmacological approach. I'm going to just kind of listen to what these guys have to say. Maybe there's something to this. Can you give us an example of a declaration, uh, whether maybe it was your declaration when you did it, or just an example of what one might look like or sound sure. like? Yeah. So what I could say right now is what I'm declaring is the possibility of being my word, of being a leader, of being vigilant, of being a father, you know, these are the type of things we can throw out there. So let's, let's examine word. What's the most powerful thing as a man that we have with another human being, whether it be a man or a woman, it's our word. Mm -hmm. And if you look into the psychology of relationships, right. And, and you could read 
five love languages, or you could read there, there's a million books out there that, that have to do with relationships and divorce is another topic that we could talk on a podcast about and the divorce rates in the military, which are sky high, especially in units like I was in, but our word is everything. So if we say we're going to do something, the, the less that we come good on that word, the more that our credibility and authenticity, you know, the more it diminishes in that relationship. And then we wonder, Hey, well, why don't my friends respect me? Why are they always razzing me? Or, Hey, why don't I get picked for this mission set or this school that I really want? Or, Hey, why does my wife not respect me? Cause you know, as men, that's, that, that's really one of the big key pieces is like, we want our wives to respect us. Um, but if we can't come good on our word, whether it's going out in the garage to fix something that we said we were going to do, or it's taking our kids to, you know, whatever lessons, or it's, it's, us making commitment like, hey, I'm going to treat you better, but we don't. It's just words. They, they fall on deaf ears. So our word is so, so important. If you're going to make your word in the declaration, um, the only thing missing for most of us is we don't have good men in our lives to keep us accountable to it. Right. And, and, and we may have one. And if you have one man that keeps you accountable for something, here's what happens. You and that other man that are supposed to be holding each other accountable will ultimately end up making excuses for each other. So it's really important to have two. There's something about a dynamic of three. And that's a, that's a powerful number as well, right? If you look at the pyramid or if you look at shapes, that strengthens a community. That, that's how you start community, right? You can't do community with two. There's something about the dynamic of three in accountability. So word, being a leader, what does being a leader look like? We're on the Intentional Leadership Podcast, right? Intentional Leader? Intentional Leader, yep. Intentional Leader Podcast, Cal. What does a leader look like? Like to me, a leader is being someone that doesn't seek credit. You know, I look from, you know, I've got a ton of great books that I brought out here, but this is a big book in MBA space. Good to great, right? It talks about the hedgehog content. It talks about five different levels of leadership. Well, what is the fifth level? The fifth level is about not seeking credit, mm-hmm. right? It comes down to that. It comes down to keeping the main thing, the main thing. You don't seek credit as a level five leader. It's not about that. It's about lifting up others to create leaders. So when you get to a place in your organization, wherever you may be, and you create other leaders, you're doing a great job in leadership. It's also about moving away from paralysis by analysis and and making an informed, executed decision, right? So informed execution is a big piece of leadership. You take the information you have at hand and you make the best decision you can with that information, then you got to execute. But if you, the failure to execute that that stalling is why you see so many issues with leadership, whether it be in the military or whether it be in the civilian world. And the MDMP process, the military decision-making process, that's great. And that's a lot of military leaders, they go off in the civilian world and they apply that and they do great things. But I think it comes down, that's one of the key concepts is, is being a level five leader and being somebody that lifts other people up. And you know, you'll often see us at Save a Warrior clearing people's face. Even if it's myself as the executive director or the founder, Jake Clark, like we're not above that. I'll, I'll go and take out the trash. Like it's not about me standing back like this or with my hands on my hips supervising. You know, that, that's what management is associated with. And, and management and leadership are two very different things. And I'm sure you've had some great podcasts discussing just that. That's all, that's so good. And I, I want to get into, so I, I imagine first two quick uh, kind of admin questions. One mm-hmm. How often do you do these retreats? And then two, how long are they? That's a great question. When I first came into the organization, again, we were on the 35th and this was 2016. 
We started in 2012. So if you do the math on that after four years, we were we had some years that were, were big years. We might have 12, 13, 15 cohorts. We had some that were six, seven. And a lot of that depends on funding. We're a nonprofit. So we are essentially using other people's money to create this life-changing experience for people. And so, you know, when I first came in, we, we maybe were bringing in, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. I think the first year I was a part of this organization, it was a $300,000 a year. And there were some times where, you know, we're sitting here figuring out, hey, here's, here's the cohort that's for a week from now, where are we going to go get the money? Mm-hmm. And there was like this constant level of faith, like, if you build it, they will come. Like really that field of dreams mentality. And that's, that's a film that we've shown in our experience. That's been a big belief for Jake and I. And we used to talk about this. Hey, what happens? You know, we, we would talk about not if, but when, when we get our village, when we get a warrior village, this is what, what life's going to be like. And now not only do we have one warrior village, but we're operating in a second one. And, and this is only five years away from that. And, and as far as bringing in funding, you know, we've been able to 10 X that in the last five years, which is incredible, you know, considering the environment of COVID last year. But this, these retreats now, this year, we have 40 on the schedule. So again, six, seven, wow. eight was kind of where we were at when I came in. We've, we've almost 5X'd what we were doing in the past, and we still have a wait list. And this is the worst kind of business to have a wait list in. So this center of excellence that we're building right now. So we're building the first uh, and only of its kind national center of excellence for complex post-traumatic stress. And the center of excellence has been sponsored by the DAV. So if you're familiar with the, you know, the DAV is a century old organization that basically looks at themselves, rightfully so, right, as a leader in the veteran service organization space. And I think if you look at their logo, if you go to their website today, you'll see that they really are. They really do lead the way on being able to pivot and transition and keep today's veterans engaged with, with the way that they market, with the way that they serve, you name it. But they were searching for an organization in the mental health space. That was a priority for them in 2020 and 2021. And when they did their research on us, they brought their entire leadership team to this new center that's down in Hillsboro, Ohio, sat down, we gave them a tour, we shared with them what we were doing, and uh, they decided that they wanted to sponsor the National Center of Excellence. So we put in for a grant with them and, and got a million dollar grant from them last year. And it's incredible to know that we are gonna be forever partnered with the DAV and, you know, their, their logo will be right there on the center, you know, sponsored, presented by the DAV, you know, Save a Warriors National Center of Excellence for Complex Post-Traumatic Stress. So this is a really big deal. I mean, we're going to have a, a three-day ribbon cutting that also aligns with our 10-year anniversary in the spring of 2022. And we're super thrilled for that. Right now, construction will start actually this month. So we're going to be doing a groundbreaking ceremony with their leadership team, with myself and with Jake, where we'll say a few words. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to see that or you want to just stay up to date with this groundbreaking with the build of the center with our organization you can go to save a warrior at on facebook we have a like page so you'll find us save a warrior or you can go to the dav and, and i suggest liking both because we're both doing so many different incredible things for veterans across the country can you tell us a little bit about the the western zen and and what you and jake clark are doing with that yeah, of course. So the West, so we have been able to do some really incredible things with veterans and incredible things with first responders. But one of the cool opportunities that we've offered over the years is something called a witness seat. 
So a witness seat at Save a Warrior is where somebody that we believe could be a future stakeholder for the organization. Maybe it's somebody that's a board member. Maybe it's somebody that we're onboarding as a staff member. Maybe it's a company that is interested in what we're doing, but they can't quite grasp it, or they just want to see it firsthand. We offer them to see to come sit and, and have the experience. You know, we've had Fortune 500 CEOs, we've had movie producers, we've had famous actors and actresses all come sit in the seat in that witness experience. Most of them, it has been a transformative, life-changing experience for them as a civilian. So we thought, you know what, what if we took some of the best practices, some of the principles that we're applying in our training at Save a Warrior? Because we're an organization that creates a, a clearing, creates an opening for somebody that has had trauma in their life. Well, newsflash, right? Human beings, we all have trauma. This isn't just something that's related to military members. So we're able to go into companies. We're able to go into schools. It was just announced here in Ohio that ages 10 to 14, the number one cause of death from 10 to 14 years old in the state of Ohio is suicide. Oh my goodness. Yep. And we have the statistics on suicide on the impact, right? So when one person kills himself, it has a profound negative impact on 135 people. So think about that. This isn't just the person that we're saving, whether it's at Save a Warrior or Western's End. This is, this is an impact that's having ripple effects far beyond, you know, into communities, into schools, into friendships, families, obviously, right? And, and everything else. And, and what could this person become? We also go into companies with the Western's End. So we do training that uh, can be corporate training that's custom tailored to a company that's maybe in a crisis a company that is looking at, hey, we have these bottom 20% performers. Instead of laying these folks off, why don't we have the Western Zen come in and work with them? And one of our guarantees is we'll take the bottom 20 and we'll turn them into the top 20. So you want to talk about a value proposition. You want to talk about a return on investment. These are now all employees that you don't have to lay off that, that maybe for whatever reason are disgruntled or unsatisfied intrinsically on, on, on their job there. And this could be a management issue. This could be a leadership issue, but we'll take them and turn them into the top 20. We'll also work with executives that are looking to revamp their leadership. You know, most companies, they have a training budget, right? Every year. So they'll bring in some best selling speaker that has a cool acronym that has a book that he'll sign. And, and, and some of these budgets are crazy, right? They'll, they'll spend 50 to upwards of a million at a sales rally to have some charismatic person with a whole bunch of makeup on and they have their little mic on and they're getting everybody fired up. But then like, what happens after that, that, that fired up goes away? What happens after the momentum goes away and everybody goes to the bar that night and gets drunk and then forgets about it the next day? They got a cool book that's signed. We're looking to create this lasting leadership within a company, this lasting momentum that a company can take and move forward and give takeaways and, and really create a new type of leadership where leaders are listening for their organization. They're listening for the future. And that's one of the big things that we do at, at Western Zen. And that we've been exploding, you know, with inquiries. And I appreciate you mentioning that on the podcast. Man, that's so cool. And I'll put links to that in the show notes for this. And I, so I want to, as we're wrapping up here, I want to do a little lightning round with you, Adam. And, uh, and I'm sure some of these questions, you probably have a longer answer, but since we're running oh, out of time. Sorry, let's go. I'm used to storytelling, as you can tell. No, I love it. You're, you're a fantastic, you have such a calm presence about you, which is really cool. And I'm sure it's perfect for what you do. Uh, first question is, what is the top? So if you just had to pick one top habit, ritual, routine that has really made the biggest difference in your life? For me, it's fitness. So I, I ran fitness on my teams and special forces. It has been getting that daily shot of, of dopamine that, you know, those endorphins that get released when I work out 
it's one of those things mentally, psychologically for me that I feel like I get a win. And, and I usually have to do it before 10 a.m. I'd prefer to do it before 8 a.m. You know, it depends on what's going on with the kids and stuff in the morning. Life's a little different when you have three little ones running around in hybrid because of COVID. But that's a big one. So fitness, um, and if it was a close second and right there with fitness, it's meditation. You know, mm-hmm. I can tell a difference in how I am being in my daily life and how the day shows up if I haven't meditated. So that has to be, you know, my two biggest right there. Top parenting advice. Love that. Tone. Tone is a huge one, especially as fathers, but mothers and fathers, we have to always consider and try to put ourselves in the shoes of our little ones at home. And my tone in the past was running my home like a drill sergeant and barking at my kids versus just getting down on their level, having a conversation with them and just trying to understand, guess what? My little child's brain, and you know, we get into neurobiology I'll be brief on this answer, I promise, Cal. But we get into it at the like quantum level. You know, Jake and I have read thousands of books. And and when we say read, it's not just like read, it's read and digest and highlight and trim tab and reread and not to memorize uh, as in an order to, but to memorize to understand it all the way into the footnotes. So on a neurobiological level, our prefrontal cortex, right? This is the last part of our brain that comes online. Here's the crazy part about this. And most people don't know this. This prefrontal cortex is not fully fledged. It doesn't fully come online in us as human beings. And this is where we make all of our executive decisions until we're 25. (laughs) Think about that. I just want you to think about that. What decisions do we make prior to 25? Well, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to go into debt on student loans. I'm going to join the military and put my life at risk. I'm probably going to get married. Yeah, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to do this, right? So we're doing all of these things before our executive decision-making comes online. So as a parent, there's a reason why hormonally teenagers are going through these things. And it's tough. Sometimes I butt heads with my son and I have to like just take a pregnant pause, go meditate and realize, you know what? This is a relationship that I cherish and I value and like I want to have as my kids move out. So instead of needing to be right, valid and justified or being authoritative, maybe I'll take a different approach. And it's not being weak, it's not being gentle, but you can talk with somebody versus talking at them and it all has to do with tone. That's so good. All right, last question. Top marriage slash relationship advice. Never stop dating your spouse. And as men, believe it or not, it's our job to ensure that happens. No one's coming to save us. The wife's not going to do it. You need to do some research. You need to do some reading. There's a great book by David Dowda called The Way of the Superior Man. I've digested that one a couple times. And it's very respectful to both sexes, right? I would never pick a book that is so gender specific that would like discriminate against the other gender. It, It really helps you to start to understand psychologically, deep down in the psyche of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman gets into energy, um, but not in a granola kind of way, but in a, in a way that actually makes sense. But that's a big one is never stop dating. So whether that's leaving a post-it note for your spouse, hey, I'm really proud of you. Go put one on their on their, uh, their steering wheel before they get in their vehicle. Maybe it's doing something kind for them. Like I like to bread from and I'll leave, I'll send a picture and behind the picture is a picture frame. Behind the picture frame is a letter. And then the letter is a message. And then they have to go somewhere else. So little kind of games like that. But the kind of things that we did when we were courting each other, we wonder why relationships get stale. We wonder why, um, you know, the honeymoon phase gets over. And that's such a common thing. And then people end up wandering 
and looking for, for other people, that the solution is not in the next relationship. You'll have the same problem there. Again, I promise those of you that are married four or five times, you know what I'm saying, but never stop dating your partner. Oh, that's so good. So many good ideas there too. So practical ideas. I, I appreciate that. So at, go ahead. Sorry. I hope, I hope somebody uses those, you know, it, any, anything to brighten somebody's day and what, a, what, a, what a time to do it, right? Valentine's day is coming up. People can be real negative and cynical. Oh, that's a Hallmark holiday. And I'm not doing that. And yada, yada, yada. Yeah. You can see how that works out in your relationship. Just do something kind and sweet. You can think outside the box. It doesn't have to be just the generic red roses, really be thoughtful about it. And it's the thought that counts. And Adam I know that there have been a lot of people. If they, <clears throat> I know there have been a lot of people. If they haven't heard about you, are, are excited to connect more with you. Save a warrior, Western mm-hmm. Zen. Where's the best places for people to connect with you and follow the work you're doing? For sure. So for me, uh, I keep my Facebook page open, so people can just type in Adam Carr uh, on Facebook. You can find me on there. Uh, I did plug Save a Warrior earlier, so you can go to Save a Warrior. Um, Western Zen is is coming online. So that was a forever joke for us as we founded this company during the height of COVID. And it's a large, it's a leadership development and training company where basically, you know, the governor, at least in our state, said, Hey, no more than 10, gotta wear a mask. So we'll use that on stage forever, you know, the best time to found the company. And I have like the paperwork the articles of incorporation from the secretary of state, but look for the Western Zen. We're, we'll have a, a podcast coming up. We'll have some other things and, you know, hopefully we can have you on as guests too, Cal. We'd love that. Well, Adam, I, I just, you're so inspiring uh, to, to, because of the person you are, but the work you're doing and the amount of effort and energy you're putting into it. And I just, I'm so excited for the impact that you're having already. And I just want to thank you publicly for the work you're doing and uh, just encourage you to keep it up. And uh, thank you for, for taking the time today to, to share your story and uh, what you're doing with all of us. It's an honor. And for anybody out there listening that is, is, is in trouble, they're having a hard time that, you know, they feel like they're at the end of their block. Again, know that you're not alone. This is a temporary feeling. It will pass and that there are people in your life that love you and you matter. And if you're having trouble and you've served this country, it's free to apply, no cost to the participant. You can go to savealwarrior.org, you can go to the apply tab, you can schedule a call with one of our rosters and you can move forward into the new path in your life. And, and, and if anyone hasn't told you this today, I love you. Hey everyone, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Adam Carr. I found Adam to be so inspiring. He's so cool and vulnerable to share his story of struggle and how he was at the end of his rope and he found this incredible organization, Save a Warrior. And now he went from going through as just a member of a cohort going through that program now to the executive director and just the power of vulnerability and the power of community to help take you from the darkest times into a better place. And no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how alone you feel, I hope that you'll remember those words from Adam, that you are loved and that there are people out there that care about you. If you know someone in your life that could really benefit from this program, I pray that you'll point them to Adam and save a warrior. Please reach out to me. I'm happy to connect you with the incredible program they have there. And I think we can all learn from the lessons that Adam shared with us today about having declarations of who we want to be, what we want to be, committing to those and having the power of community to help carry us when we're feeling weak or we're struggling. I hope that you'll go and impact the people around you. I hope that those people that are struggling, that you'll give them that helping hand. And remember, life is short, so let's go make it count.